Welcome, everybody. This is the Friday edition of Unexpected Points. I am Kevin Cole coming to you solo. This is the solo pod. I'm going to review some of the news from the week, some of the research I put out there. Uh, I think your boy kind of had a couple of good pieces this week, especially when it came to Justin Fields. I'm getting out in front of that one. And also a piece I put out on uh, tongue-in-cheek, calling it the idiot, the complete idiot's guide to hiring an NFL head coach. I'll talk through some of that. We'll also talk generally what's going on with the coaching cycle, uh, the news of the week when it comes to some recent stuff here with uh, Lamar Jackson I want to talk about because this is something I've been floating around out there that I wasn't quite sure I wanted to step out into like this relationship is broken. But we got some quotes today from Sammy Watkins who, you know, may not be the most reliable source. Um, you can either think of Sammy Watkins in one of two ways. He, he, he thinks of himself as the lizard King, I believe, and might actually believe that he's an alien or something like that. So maybe not so, so reliable in that way, but at the same time, because of that, uh, he doesn't constrain himself to the normal NFL player type of stuff. We're not talking outside of school, talking outside of the house, talking outside of the locker room, uh, the dressing room, as they would call it uh, in in overseas football, which I've been watching a little too much of recently, but outside of the locker room, he's, he, you know, he's willing to say these things. So maybe in some ways he's almost like an informant, you know, he's, he doesn't know what he's not supposed to say in a way he's um, incapable of being cryptic in the way that he's supposed to be cryptic. And he just came right out there and said a bunch of stuff about Lamar Jackson and wanting him to come back in the contract situation, and everything else. So I'll start to get into that a bit along the way. First, let's talk quickly about the research this week when it comes to fields and when it comes to, or not fields, I shouldn't say, but the number one pick in the Bears, which kind of reflects more people's opinion on Justin Fields than anything else, even though I think that should be the subset for how we're talking about it. Um, the less important thing for how we're talking about it, that, and then we'll get into the coaching stuff. Both of these things have prompted some reactions where, I want to talk about fight or flight, our fight or flight mechanism. This may seem extremely unrelated to what the subject matter, but I have found as part of this that, of course, social media, you know, just a god awful place to try to translate these ideas. But I'm a little bit surprised how often, even from people I think are generally thoughtful observers of the NFL, how often this particular subject matter of what the Bears should do with the number one pick has prompted a reaction of, you know what, I, you know, hands up, I'm out. I'm not going to engage in this. It causes too much anxiety and stress and everything else for some to even want to talk about. And why is that? And that's why I'm going to talk about this kind of fight or flight mechanism. I think this being kicked in the reflexiveness of people's responses, which again, do not even allow any sort of cognitive dissonance on their part. Don't even allow two thoughts to maybe get in their head for what they knew was the truth and what could possibly be the truth. And instead they'll just reflexively say, you can't do this because you can't do this. This is basically like the, a lot of the reasoning behind it. 
It's what you call a tautology, right? You say, well, why can't you do this? Well, you can't do it because it's impossible. Well, that doesn't really like explain why you can't do it. I mean, I wrote 4,000 words on why the Bears perhaps should consider drafting a quarterback with the first pick with like reason and evidence. A lot of evidence has not been coming out there. Uh, a lot of the objections are, well, you can't do that because this is going to happen and this is going to happen and that is going to happen. And those things are all bad. Um, and then when you follow up with, well, what's your evidence for that? They say, well, we just know that's the case. Like as if, again, we're just like using pieces, logic that's already been established despite the lack of evidence, I would say in a lot of ways there. So that's why I compare it to people's fight or flight mechanism kicking in. Um, for those who don't know quite the concept of fight or, uh, fight or flight. So, you know, we're, we're, a, we're an evolved species over, I guess it's not millions of years, hundreds of thousands of years. And for most of our existence as human beings, pretty boring, pretty boring existence outside of very defined chances of needing to fight for our survival. So fight or flight, that's where it comes from. Basically, you're sitting around all day long, you know, in your cave, <laughs> if you want to talk about like caveman sort of talk. I'm not an anthropologist, okay? So I, I don't know the details of all these things. But, you know, you're sitting around, you, you got your bone, you know, you're hanging out here, you're trying to figure out, oh, the wheel, how does this work? Uh, you know, you got your little caveman family, little caveman children, you're riding on dinosaurs or like whatever the Flintstones are doing. But the reality is, it's just pure boredom. Although you wouldn't, you wouldn't classify it as boredom because that would just be your lifestyle back then with very small instances where your probability of survival or probability of being killed essentially. And these, it goes way, way up based on when something happens. And you have this reaction as a human being. And again, this is for most of our existence, right? You have this reaction as a human being of, overwhelming endorphins rushing into your system in order to be able to maximize your probability of surviving in these, in these situations. Now, unfortunately we're still kind of wired in that way, but we don't have our stimulus now where we're overstimulated by all these things. Again, we were severely understimulated in the past, other than these specific instances of needing to have this fight or flight mechanism. Now we're overstimulated all over the place. And this, take i think when it comes to the number one pick is like a stimulus to some people it's 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 causing something in their system where they get that fight or flight mechanism where they want to yell at you they want to fight um they want to call you names because you are again causing this this you're perturbing their their internal mechanism for how they think about things or flight. And I've even seen this amongst some NFL people. I remember Robert Mays, who I like to joke with sometimes uh, on the platform. He's the host of the athletic podcast. He's like, I'm not going to engage in this sort of thing. And I don't know. I think it's interesting to engage in. I could admit some of the talk about, you know, how good Fields is or not is probably boring after a while because it's a retreading a lot of the same arguments that we have about other quarterbacks and rushing quarterbacks and all that sort of stuff but i think engaging specifically in the value of drafting another quarterback a quarterback who you may not even think is necessarily better than the first quarterback but just to give yourself multiple shots that you're not going to have very often i think that's a very engaging discussion so the fact that people don't want to even engage in it at all 
Um, for me, that's the anxiety. That's the fight or flight mechanism kicking in for them a lot and just reflexively wanting to get away or reflexively coming back but saying you can't do this because you can't do this. We're on stage I won't say one, maybe stage two, because I've been talking about this for a few years. Josh Hermsmeyer is probably even further than I am along the way as far as being an advocate of continually looking at high value quarterback prospects when you don't think you have that guy or not. Uh, famously in our offseason episode, he wasn't 100% sold on even saying Joe Burrow wasn't a guy that you would look to upgrade. And I was, you know, I was okay with that. I was okay with saying Joe Burrow is your guy. Let's not let's not upgrade there. So he's even taking it further, which I can look at it in a rational basis and disagree with. Uh, but some people are not even allowed to think, uh, allowing themselves to think of it at all. But I think we can get them along the way, and I think we have to be patient along the way. I think even if we look back to what happened with Kyler Murray and Josh Rosen, and I'm not going to, I'm not saying this and people will object about the fact of saying, obviously Justin Fields has looked a lot better at least this season in his second season than Rosen did in his first season. So I'm not painting equivalence there, but remember if we were going to look at the course of events there where they bring in Cliff Kingsbury as their head coach some quotes start circulating about how Kingsbury had talked about Kyler Murray in the past and how he was, you know, like a number one pick worthy sort of guy. And then slowly over time, more and more people started to not reflexively say that's a crazy thing to do when you traded up for Josh Rosen the prior season in a bad roster. And let's remember, they also had Sam Bradford that season and Bradford looked like dog poop also. So it wasn't like Bradford was good. It wasn't a New York jet situation where Wilson is bad and everyone else looks good. Bradford looked God awful also. And Rosen looked bad. I mean, historically bad in a way uh, that season. So some people had, you know, they shifted their opinion. They kind of got used to it as time went on. I think NFL insiders started to hear from, the if not directly from the Cardinals brass, but from other people of like, hey, this may happen, despite the fact that we're putting out tweets saying Josh is our guy, our social media is doing that, th those sorts of things. This may end up happening. And as people start to realize that something may happen, it buys into this kind of legitimacy that's based on the fact that if the team is willing to do it, then therefore it's more legitimate than if they aren't. And I'm going to frame it that way, even logically in my own mind. Even though, like, you could have logically figured this out beforehand. It's not just, like, 100% on the team. So I think there's a there's a possibility. And I probably, in some ways, I'm under, I'm even underplaying the possibility right now that the Bears are going to take a quarterback with number with the number one pick because of my awareness of the reflexive fight, fight or flight mechanism that I'm kicking in for a lot of people right now. Like, I got to bring them along a little bit, too. Um, the more you think about it, and again, I've been thinking about this for years. I've been thinking about the objections for years. A lot of people, you know, are just firing off right now without really thinking about it much at all. I'm pretty confident that it's the right thing to do. Am I 100% confident? No. I'm not in the building. I don't know any of these things. But I don't think we've seen a lot from Ryan Poles and from how that organization has operated to say that they won't be in some sort of agreement that, Let's hedge our bets a little bit on what's going on with, with Justin Fields right here. 
and and look elsewhere potentially to bring in another option. And I, and you know, as this becomes more of a thing, a more of a potential thing, Ryan Poles hasn't said anything too much so far. He's just said that they'd have to be blown away. For me, that's kind of a pretty big opening in the door, though. Um, because like everyone's blown away. You think you draft a quarterback at number one, you damn sure better be blown away by that quarterback. I'm I <laughs> right. Like I assume the the Bengals were blown away by Joe Burrow. I assume the Browns were blown away by Baker Mayfield. Didn't end up going so well, but I'm sure that they were. Uh, you know, I assume the the Rams were blown away by Jared Goff. Well, you know, who knows about that? I'm sure the Tampa Bay Bucks were blown away by Jameis Winston. So yeah, it's like it's not actually not that high of a bar, the blown away bar that polls is established here for potentially doing something. So I think as that starts to sink in, because it become it becomes more legitimate because an NFL team is actually agreeing to do it. And again, that's a lot of the objection right now is that it won't happen. So therefore it shouldn't happen. When that it won't happen starts to get peeled away, starts to dissipate, starts to become you know, a little bit of a smoky uh, objection that you can cut right through, like a knife through hot butter. As that starts to happen, you'll see people who don't even realize they were so adamantly against it initially, you know, start to buy in and at least give grudging acceptance, start to allow their brains to get out of this fight or flight mode and start to actually take in the evidence and think about it logically. And then... Draft day comes, the pick is made, and it's almost, you know, it's almost already a done deal. And everyone says, and everyone moves on as if it wasn't a big deal at all. Like what we saw, and we're talking about, you know, if Justin Fields is going to get traded or not, and for how much is the new discussion, just like it was with Josh Rosen. And that'll happen over time. Um, Hopefully people don't forget that I'm first, though, uh, on this one. Well, not first, but, you know, whatever. I, I'm, I'm kind of first, though, as far as writing it up. I don't think anyone got closer than <laughs> Sandy got a post two hours after the number one pick was secured by the Chicago Bears. It would have been a little bit more awkward, though, if I would have had to write this with the Bears in the second pick. Because it, it, everything would have applied, right? Like C.J. Stroud, I don't know um, if he if he's good enough or not. Whatever. I, I don't know these guys that well. We'll see as we get closer whether you know the blown away is going to happen for C.J. Stroud also. But it's more fun, definitely, that they have the number one pick and better for the argumentation of it and the interest of it and all that that sort of stuff going forward. So patience, everyone. Patience, everyone. I'm patient with everyone out there also and giving them time to, to digest this as we go along. Uh, the second thing I'm giving people time to digest, and if people haven't seen it yet here, I wrote a piece last night. Because again, it was one of these things like, I was thinking about delaying it till next week, but when I have an idea, I like to just write it up and go. And it's another thing where it's a culmination of things that I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, we'll see if I'm able to keep up these ideas with of the newsletter. I, I don't want to be like a band. You know, a band puts out their first album. And it's like a bunch of bangers because it's like the songs they've been working on their whole life. And then they have the quote unquote sophomore slump because they just used up all that stuff. Uh, This coaching piece, in my opinion, that I put out, the complete idiot's guide to hiring an NFL coach last night, I think it's kind of a banger. And one of the reasons it's kind of a banger is it's a culmination and aggregation of ideas that I've thought about throughout the years. 
like the what I put in there about Joe Banner talking about how he looked for detail-oriented coaches when finding Andy Reid and the research that they've done there. I mean, that's something I've known about for years. I've known about Andrew Healy's research. Andrew Healy is now the vice president of strategy for the Browns. Previous to that, he was a professor in, of economics, and he did stuff for Football Outsiders. And the specific piece that I'm talking about, he wrote all the way back in 2013. Now, I don't think I read it contemporaneous, uh, contemporaneously, like in 2013, but uh, I've known about it for a while. And his takeaway was that coordinator success doesn't really translate into head coaching success, but previous head coaching success does generally, not for everyone, of course generally translate into future head coaching success. There was about like an R squared of almost 0.7 in that manner. It's still diffuse, right? The results, but um, strong correlations there. And there's basically no correlation on the head coaching side. So I talked about that as part of it. I've known about for a very long time that, um, I think the guy's name, Laszlo Bach. I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing it in, in this one here, but he was like the head of human not human, personnel development or something like that at Google that he had written this book where I haven't read the book, honestly, but I've seen so many blurbs and I've heard interviews with him where he talks about all these different ideas. And I, I like these ideas because they're data-based ideas. Specifically, I really love the idea of you separate the interview process from the decision process. Now you interview, you take notes, everyone have their notes, but then you have a separate committee of people who did not meet with someone in an interview making the decision on whether or not to hire them because there's so many biases when it comes to interviewing someone. Uh, I put in the piece that most people know within 15 minutes whether they like someone or not. And we're talking about hours and hours and hours of interviews. The reality, I've heard some people say it's as closer to 15 seconds that they know whether they like someone or not. I give an example of David Tepper where he met with Matt Rule. And Matt Rule seems like a very charismatic dude. Probably does extremely well in the interview room. Uh, probably does extremely well recruiting. He's pretty good college guy. He gets in the, you know, he gets in that living room with the parents and gives this kind of preacherish sort of mold that he's able to talk about. And uh, for that reason, you know, the 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 hire for rule when it came to Tepper, Tepper said he reminds me of me. There was a, there was some sort of immediate rapport that they had as part of this interview process, which probably colored it a little bit too far. I mean, it definitely rushed the process. They basically were almost going to lock rule in the room and not let him go to the Giants and were throwing six years in the biggest first-time head coach contract of all time at him. Um, largely because of these biases that are happening in the room. So take the decision away from people who are in the room. And the other thing was this part about intellectual humility which they talked about for candidates. And that's obviously a huge, huge thing here. Something I try to practice and preach is we're data-based, we're evidence-driven, and we're willing to change our opinions when the, the evidence changes. Um, you know, it's a pretty famous sort of thing. I mean, uh, you know, there's this, the whole Keynes, the, the famous uh, John Maynard Keynes quote, which is, you know, when the facts change, I change my opinion. What do you do, sir? I might have messed that up, but it's something like that. And that's that's a good philosophy to have. You know, when the facts change, change your opinion. And that's another thing that's going to come into this discussion with what the Bears do with the number one pick, what coaches do for hiring. I'm trying to bring facts into the equation. So who's going to come with me and be willing to change their opinion based upon these facts? We'll see who falls into that category or not. 
Uh, some other news we had of the week. All pro selections came out today. I don't really have anything interesting to say here other than I do think it's a little bit weird how you have three all pro selections for linebackers and then four for defensive backs in the first and second team when we know that it's kind of like nickel is the new base. So like, when are they going to start arranging that? Um, you know, you have three different linebackers who end up being in the first, who end up getting a first team all pro designation, three more. So six in total on the first and second team, whereas it's eight total defensive backs, especially we're talking about cornerbacks here. You know, it's only four cornerbacks who get an all pro designation two first team two second team. When a lot of these guys are on the field a ton. I mean, look at here. We have sauce Gardner, number one. He was pretty good. He's pretty good. Uh, Patrick, Sertan, number two, Jair Alexander, James Bradbury. And then you have Darius Slay, Jalen Ramsey, and some other guys after that, you know, um, who don't even make like the cornerback selection necessarily there. Um, anything else to talk about here? The new voting system here, which I'm, I'm appreciative of for the all pro voting, where it's first and second place votes, at least, rather than just having first place votes. So for those who don't know, it was just like a one vote per 50-person panel before. So you end up getting really funky things happening where sometimes there just is no one in the second team. If all 50 people voted for the one quarterback, let's say, they're the first-team quarterback and there is no second-team quarterback. So now that's not going to happen anymore. So that's taken away. The other thing that's taken away, more importantly, is the... Hey, everybody. This was a free version of a premium podcast. I'm going to do these every week. If you like access to it, please get a paid subscription at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. That's unexpectedpoints.substack.com. It supports my work. It shows a little appreciation, which I greatly, greatly value from everyone out there. Plus, it gives you the opportunity to drop Q&A in the comments to me directly or via email, and I will answer them on the Friday podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Even if you're not a paid subscriber, I still appreciate that. And one last thing, if you do not have the means at this point due to financial hardship or any other reason to get a paid subscription, please send an email to unexpectedpoints, that's unexpectedpts, at gmail.com or a message to me directly on Twitter via DM. It's at Kevin Cole, triple underscore. And I will comp you a six-month free subscription, which will include this podcast and everything else on the website. No questions asked. I appreciate you guys. I know there's some hard times out there for some people. I want you to have access. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. And there will be a free podcast coming your way next week with another interview.